Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. It's good to be worshiping together uh, this morning. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to join me in Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4. Uh, if you found 1 Samuel 2, you're just going to go literally two chapters backwards to find Ruth chapter 4. As we get started and as you're finding your place in Ruth 4, a, a very uh, important question for each one of us to ask is, have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Or do you realize that you need to be redeemed? Who is even able to redeem you? What would that look like? What would be the results of redemption? Now I understand redeem and redemption might not be a word that you use very often in your day-to-day lives. Uh, in our passage, we're going to learn about a redeemer. And the way that our passage is using the word redemption and redeemer, it is a legal term for the deliverance of a person. The deliverance of a person. And that deliverance is done by another person. It is done by another person at great cost to themselves. And it is to deliver that other person typically from some type of bondage. It's like this idea that a person is trapped in some situation that they cannot get out of themselves. And they need someone else to come in and to redeem them, to deliver them, to free them, to save them. And so I wonder, has that happened to you in a spiritual sense? Or do you need to be redeemed? And again, if you have been redeemed, what difference would that make in your life? As we pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, we have learned that Ruth desperately needs to be redeemed. Desperately needs it. She's a Moabite widow who is feeding herself and her mother-in-law by picking up scraps of barley in the fields. But at the end of chapter 3, we have just learned that there's a glimmer of hope. That there's a guy by the name of Boaz who may be willing to redeem Ruth. But there's also a closer redeemer. And so... Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, has actually told Ruth at the end of chapter 3 that Boaz, the potential redeemer, is going to settle the matter today. And so when we open up in Ruth chapter 4, we know that the the situation at hand is going to be settled today. And that's where we pick up Boaz. Is he going to redeem Ruth or is this other guy going to redeem Ruth? Or maybe neither one of them will do so. That's where we open up in Ruth Chapter 4. Start with me at the beginning of the chapter. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know 
For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories that are captured for us that we may be changed by them. Lord, like Ruth and like Naomi and like Israel, each one of us here needs a redeemer. Help us to see that. Help us to know that. And help us to look to you for our redemption. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, the question that we start the story with in verses 1 and 2 is who will redeem? Who will redeem? So 
The way the story opens, it prompts an immediate question in our minds. Who is going to redeem Ruth? Will it be Boaz that we've been getting to know since back in chapter 2? Or will it be this other guy that we never even learn his name? In verses 1 and 2, the stage is set for what will unfold. Boaz is uh, sitting at the gate. He has called this other guy to sit at the gate as well. This is where legal decisions and transactions take place. And so they have sat down. They've also gathered elders of the town to be witnesses of whatever transaction is about to take place. And again, the transaction that is in question is redemption. Not just of fields and land and property, but redemption of Ruth, the Moabite widow. What is surprising about this passage is that we not only learn about Ruth's redemption, we actually go on to see four total redemptions in this passage. Two of them will be very clear from our text in Ruth chapter 4. The third is going to be clear when we place Ruth in its proper place next to Judges and First and Second Samuel. And the fourth will be clear when we place this book of Ruth in the greater context of the entire Bible. So four, four redemptions that we're going to see. And all of these, we're not merely to be studying Ruth to get some interesting information about people who lived a few thousand years ago. We want the Word of God to transform each and every one of us, to change us. Here is the transformation that this passage is after in our lives. Praise the Lord for His redeeming work and join Him in it. Say that again. Praise the Lord for His redeeming work and join Him in it. So four redemptions will get us there. And spoiler alert, at the very end, I'm going to allude to countless other redemptions. So four, and then we're just going to open the floodgates at the very end for countless other redemptions. So the first redemption in verses 3 through 13, verses 3 through 13, the Lord redeems Ruth by Boaz. The Lord redeems Ruth by Boaz. You see, Ruth is desperately in need of redemption. It is honestly very difficult for us to fully comprehend the desperation that Ruth is in. There are so many cultural and legal situations happening in this passage that I really don't have the expertise or the time to, to walk through. But she is in a desperate situation. Perhaps chapter 2 gave us a bit of an idea of how desperate her situation is. She's going to work in the fields all day to do what? To get food? No, to get scraps of barley that will then have to be turned into food. You may say, well, okay. We also learn in chapter 2 that this is a dangerous thing for a woman to go into the fields by herself. She is actually risking, there's a good chance that she will be beat up and or raped as she's working in the fields. There's really no earthly hope that her situation will change. This will be her lot every day for the rest of her life. To look in the fields, pick up some scraps, bring it back, and, and hopefully 
She'll have enough to feed her and her mother-in-law. Oh, by the way, the only other person she even knows in this place where she is, is her mother-in-law. She's in a strange land. She's with a strange people. And honestly, the people of that land look at her as a foreigner, as a stranger, as detestable if they understand the origin of Moabites, which we've talked about in weeks past. And yet, when we get to verse 13, Ruth has been redeemed. The Lord redeemed Ruth. By 13, Ruth has a husband. She has a husband who has plenty of food, a husband who owns land, a husband who has position in society. And then at the very end of verse 13, Ruth and her husband now have a son to perpetuate the line, not of Boaz, but of her deceased husband. This is redemption. This is a complete change in earthly situation. She goes from trapped and hopeless to free and joyful. She goes from lonely and outcast to being part of a community and part of a family again. She goes from hungry and tired to full and rested. And it was the Lord that brought it about for Ruth. We cannot miss that. It's, it's not just about Boaz. It's about the Lord bringing it about for Ruth. Look back with me in chapter 1 of Ruth. This famous passage in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Ruth, uh, Naomi has been trying to convince Ruth, don't come with me back to Israel. And Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth is following Naomi back to Israel, yes. But she also knows something of the Lord of Naomi. She knows something of the Lord of the people that Naomi comes from. In chapter 2, Ruth just happens to go glean in a field that happens to belong to Boaz, who is second in line as the Redeemer. Just so happens to find her way into his field. And oh, by the way, it is the Redeemer who will actually do it, right? She doesn't go into the field of the other guy who is unwilling to do so. She goes into the field of the guy who is willing to do so. And if we were to place the book of Ruth on top of the book of Judges that we studied not too long ago, it might not be too far to say that Boaz just might be the only decent man in Israel at this point. Right? Like, really? You just happened into Boaz's field? Of all the fields you could have gone to, you just happened to be in Boaz's field. And then notice the first conversation that Boaz and Ruth ever have in chapter 2. Boaz says this at the end of their conversation, chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz answered Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth has come to take refuge in the Lord. And it is the Lord where she will find her refuge. The Lord redeemed Ruth. But, but how, did, how did he do that? How did God actually bring about the redemption of Ruth? Well, the Lord redeemed Ruth by Boaz. Boaz was faithful in all of this. He did things according to the laws of the Lord. We see this throughout the story and definitely in chapter 4. He acted with sacrificial love. Did you notice why the other guy would not redeem Ruth? It was going to impair his own inheritance. He said, I can't do that. But Boaz says, I'll impair my inheritance. I will carry on the line of the dead. He shows her sacrificial love and the Lord uses him. Boaz partnered with the Lord in Ruth's redemption. I'm sure Boaz had some plans for his life. I'm sure Boaz had some plans for his week, right? I'm sure uh, a Moabite widow sneaking into the threshing floor and laying at his feet wasn't exactly how he pictured finding a wife. Just my assumption. And yet Boaz was open to what the Lord had for him. The Lord used him. He noticed a woman. He asked about her. Who is that? What's going on? What's the situation? He found out all of the processes that needed to happen to redeem her. Praise the Lord for his redeeming work and join him in it. We now have, once we get to this point in Ruth, we have a vivid picture of what redemption looks like. It's a complete change of situation for the person who is redeemed. It's a complete change in status, a complete change in in community and society. It's a complete and utter redemption. This picture is going to become even more clear as we look at the other redemptions. The second redemption we need to see is that the Lord redeems Naomi by Obed. This is in uh, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The Lord redeems Naomi by Obed. Perhaps we forgot about Naomi as we got caught up in the love story of Ruth and Boaz, right? And we're like, wow, how's this, how's this thing going to play out? We maybe forgot about Naomi. But let us not forget a powerful moment back in chapter 1. Back in chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Naomi has come back to Israel. People are asking, is this Naomi? Is this, you left like a while ago and now you're back. What's, what's going on? And in chapter 1, verse 20, Naomi says to the people, do not call me Naomi. If you look at your footnote, that means pleasant or sweet. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. If you look at your footnote again, it means bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? 
See, Naomi desperately needed redemption as well. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi was an empty, bitter woman. And she was hopeless that her situation could ever change. Why, why could you ever, how could you ever call me Naomi again? Naomi desperately needed redemption. And yet, at the end of chapter 4, Naomi's life has been restored to her. You'll notice that the Lord redeemed Naomi. Naomi did not redeem herself. Honestly, even as God was providing Ruth to her, this Ruth that would eventually provide Obed to her, she's trying to push her away in chapter 1. Don't come with me. Don't come with me. Just go back to your home. I'm going to go to Israel. Don't come with me. She was trying to shun the Lord's provision in her life. She tried to talk Ruth out of coming with her. When people came to her and was like, oh, wow, Naomi, it's, it's good to have you back. She says, no, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. So she's pushing away even the people that, that perhaps are trying to welcome her back in. The Lord had to slowly open her eyes to what he was doing over the course of the story. If you were to go back and read through the story and just watch Naomi throughout the story, it's like she's starting to to get more engaged. She's like shuts off at the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3. She's getting more and more engaged. In what God is doing. The Lord redeemed Naomi. And the Lord redeemed Naomi by Obed. Read with me again in chapter 4. Verses 14 and 15. Chapter 4 verses 14 and 15. The, the women said to Naomi. After the birth of Obed. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. What a powerful picture of redemption. I know it's a bit of a challenge to follow the pronouns in what I just read, but who is Naomi's redeemer that the women say? It's, it's Obed, right? It's the boy. It's the baby. Naomi's redemption came through a baby boy. And she and the other women around her praised God for him. We too must praise the Lord for his redeeming work and join him in it. So already we've seen two powerful pictures of redemption, but we need to zoom out a little bit and see what God is doing on a, on a little bit bigger picture. But even as we just look at Ruth in and of itself, if that's all it is, if it's just Ruth as a story, isn't God amazing? He brought about these two powerful stories of redemption, both Ruth and Naomi, he brought both of these out in the same story, the same twists and turns that we see in this short book. God is amazing. His sovereign hand is amazing to watch work out his redemption in the lives of those who need it. But this story is more than just a love story for Ruth. It's more than just a love story for Ruth and Boaz. It's more then uh, Naomi going from full to empty and bitter back to full again. It's more than that. This is more than just a rags to riches story. It's all of those things, but it is so much more as well. Because not only does God redeem Ruth and Boaz through this story, not only does uh, the Lord redeem Naomi by Obed, 
the third redemption we need to see, really verses 16 through 22, and placing this story in the context of the scriptures around it, the Lord redeems Israel by David. The Lord redeems Israel by David. You see, Israel, when this story opens up, is in desperate need of redemption. Do you recall how the story begins? Look back at the first phrase of the whole book. In the days when judges ruled. In the days when judges ruled. For those of you who are here with us this summer, as we work through the book of Judges, it was a slog in a lot of ways. It is a depressing book. It, It is a downward spiral of a book, right? Things start okay, pretty well, and then they just go down and down and down. And honestly, it was a challenging book for us who preach to preach. It was another challenging book for us who listen to listen. It was challenging. Israel was in a place where everyone did whatever they wanted. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the book of Judges tells us. Why? Well, there was no king in Israel. And so what reigned? Sin, chaos, bloodshed, all of that reigned in Israel instead of a godly king, instead of God himself. Israel was at a very low point in their history, and they were desperately needing redemption. And yet the Lord is faithful in his promises, is he not? He works out his salvation to Israel. The Lord is redeeming Israel, and he's going to do it by David. The story of Ruth began in the days of the judges, and the last word of the book is David. David. Typically in the Bible, genealogies, which is what we have at the end of Ruth, typically genealogies starts a new section of Scripture. They don't end sections. Typically they start a new section. Especially when you read the book of Genesis, you'll be reading and you get to a, these are the generations of, and it's like, all right, that story's kind of past. We're into this new story, this new trajectory. But here in Ruth, It's the end of the book, is this genealogy that ends with David. And what that does is that causes the reader like, who's David? Why in the world are you telling us about David? And that should propel us into the next book of the Bible, which we call 1 and 2 Samuel. We split it up for some reason, but it's all one book, 1 and 2 Samuel. And what happens in that book? Well, God redeems Israel through David, the anointed chosen king. When God has redeemed Israel by David, Israel sees peace from their enemies. Israel returns to worshiping the Lord under their king who also worships the Lord. They are united as one people under God's anointed king. And yet, despite all the good of David and his reign, the book of Samuel, especially once you get to like Samuel eight, Second Samuel 8 and following, there's something not quite right. This, this reign of David is not quite as awesome as we thought it was going to be as we're reading through the book. Right? David isn't this perfect guy that maybe we thought he was going to be. 
He's also not forever. God promised in 2 Samuel 7 that David's going to be a forever king. His line is going to be forever. God didn't promise that David would be forever, but instead his offspring would be forever. His offspring, one of his offspring would be a perfect and forever king. And so we must put this, we got to take the story where Ruth sends us, right? The, the, it ends with David. Okay, what's going on with David? We get to First and Second Samuel. I just summarized those two books for you. We get David, an anointed king, but something's not right. It's not the guy we're looking for. We got to keep going forward in the scriptures. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, is the, Matthew chapter 1 is the first page in your New Testament. First page of your New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. We land in, the, in a genealogy. You'll notice a book starting with a genealogy. It's telling us something. Starting at the very beginning of the book, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a summary statement. And then he gets into the details of this genealogy of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. Is this sounding familiar? Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Skip down with me to verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. God was up to something back in this story of Ruth, was he not? God was up to something far more powerful than Ruth could have ever imagined, than Boaz could have ever imagined, than Naomi could have ever imagined. The people that were rejoicing with him, far bigger than any of them could have ever imagined. The fourth redemption we see is that the Lord redeems sinners by Jesus Christ. The Lord redeems sinners by Jesus Christ. You see, you and I need a Redeemer. Whether you have realized it or not, apart from God, your spiritual condition is like the physical condition of Ruth and Naomi at the beginning of the story. Your spiritual condition is like the physical and spiritual condition of Israel in the time of the judges. You need a Redeemer. You're trapped and you can't redeem yourself. You need to be bought with a price. Well, the way that the Lord redeems sinners is by Jesus Christ. The Lord has been working this redemption from the beginning. The Lord actually made this plan before the foundation of the world. He tells us so in Ephesians chapter 1. He made a plan that he would redeem sinners by sacrificially giving his own son to live the perfect life that you and I are unable to live. And he would give his son to die a sacrificial death that we deserve. 
for our sins. He redeems us from our disobedience. He redeems us from our sin. And he even redeems us from sins that have been done to us. What is our response for this redemption? We are to praise the Lord for his redeeming work. And so I ask you, has the Lord redeemed you? Has the Lord redeemed you? You see, the Lord redeems those who need redemption and call out to him for it. If you have never come to the place where you know that you need to be saved, you know that you need to be redeemed, then you are not redeemed. If you have never called out to Jesus for your redemption, then you are not redeemed. If you have, instead of calling out to Jesus for redemption, tried to add a little bit of Jesus into your life to make it a little bit better, that's not redemption. It's not what the Bible teaches about salvation. He redeems us from our sin. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save those who need redemption. If you've never been redeemed by Jesus, what you need to do is call out to him and be saved. Repent of your sins and be saved. We just sang the beautiful chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What's going to happen? The things of this world will go strangely dim when we're looking at Jesus. We must repent of our sins and be saved. Trust in Jesus as your only hope for salvation. If you've never done that, or maybe today you know that you need to do that, I would plead with you today, turn to Jesus and be saved. After the service, I usually hang out up front here. I would love to speak to you about that. I understand you may have a lot of questions about what I just rattled off. But do not let today pass without seeking redemption from the Lord. And what about those who have been redeemed by the Lord? You, you sit there and you're like, yes, I, I've done that. I know I'm not perfect. I know I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. But, but I, I do know that I, I genuinely called out to the Lord for salvation. What about those of us? Well, we're to praise the Lord for his redeeming work. And we are to join him in it. Oh, church, we need to learn how to praise the Lord for his redemption. When was the last time you praised the Lord, not for what he gave you, that, that you asked for, some, some little earthly trinket, but you praised the Lord for his redeeming you from the bondage of sin. When was the last time you praised God for that? Not praise God, hey, it's a beautiful day today, praise God. I ate a delicious meal today, praise God. I got the promotion I wanted, praise God. No, no, no. I was in bondage to sin and damned for eternal hell. And God saved me from that. When was the last time you praised God for that? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent out 72 of his disciples and they return back to him and they're rejoicing in the work that has happened. They're like, we, 
man, demons came out of people because we told demons to come out of people. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be rejoicing God for. That our names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord for his redemption. Praise the Lord for the spiritual redemption in you have in Christ. Praise the Lord for any physical redemptions He's brought about in your life, but praise the Lord. Let me encourage you to do two things today. And yes, I said today. I'm, I'm going to be so bold as to tell you a couple things to do with your day. Number one, praise God for your redemption. I, I encourage you to do something real and tangible different than you typically do. So maybe that's you writing out where you were and where God brought you from. I know you're not a finished product yet. I'm certainly not a finished product yet either. You're not perfect yet, but, but if you've been walking with the Lord for more than about five minutes, he's changed something in your life, right? And you, we should thank God for that. So maybe it's, it's writing out a letter, writing out in your journal, praising God for his redemption. Or you can do what Christians have done for thousands of years. And you, you can, while, while we're singing the last couple of songs here in a moment, you can come and just pray up here. Like physically move your body to somewhere different than you normally do things. Right? And you can come up here and you can kneel in front of, by the platform and you can pray there. Or while we're all standing and singing, you can, you can turn around and kneel down at your seats. And just thank God for your redemption. Or maybe you're a person that like never raises your hands while we're worshiping and we're going to sing a song that says, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And you say, Lord, that, you, you're my redeemer. And just do, I, I would encourage you to do something different than you normally do to praise God for your redemption. Not, not anything else that he's done for you, but for your redemption, for your salvation. The second thing I encourage you to do is to tell somebody your testimony. You'll notice the praising that happens in Ruth is always done in community. It's done with other people. Tell somebody your testimony. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, it's possible that a lot of people around you don't have any clue that God had to save you from the mess that you were. And so I encourage you to tell your testimony. Tell someone else about how God redeemed you. Perhaps people have seen that you're different than the rest of the world, and they've been attributing that to you. You could have an opportunity to say, it ain't me, but God has redeemed me. This is who I was. This is what God has done to redeem me. Tell somebody your testimony, and then you'll be able to usher with other people. Man, isn't God amazing that he can bring about redemption of somebody like me? That God can bring about redemption in our lives. We need to praise the Lord for his redeeming work. There's one more thing that our praise should lead us to. And that is to join him in his redeeming work. The Lord redeems people around you by you. The Lord redeems people around you by you. I trust you followed me to the book of Matthew, so I'm going to ask you to follow me one more time to 2 Corinthians. Just keep going to your right, you'll hit 
other books, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want God's word to leave you with one more thought of where this passage is taking us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That is a powerful, I didn't even read a whole verse. But that is a powerful thought. As Christians, we are to be Christ's ambassadors and that God is making his appeal for salvation to other people through us. You thought you had a boring week coming up, didn't you? It's not boring anymore, is it? Whoa! The God of the universe is going to make an appeal that people would come and worship him and he's going to do that through me? Week's not boring anymore, is it? It's also not easy anymore, is it? God, just like God redeemed Ruth by Boaz, like God redeemed Naomi by Obed, like God redeemed Israel by David, like God redeemed Lot by Abraham, like God redeemed the prostitute Rahab by the two Israelite spies, I could go on, it's all over the scriptures. This is how God works. God redeems people and he uses his people to redeem more of his people. That's how he works. So listen, you don't live where you live by accident. You're not in the family that you're in by accident. You're not in Jacksonville, North Carolina by accident. You're not in your workplace by accident. You have been placed there by Almighty God. That he could make his appeal to a lost and broken world through you. That's why you're there. Praise the Lord for his redeeming work. And join him in it. Let us praise the Lord together. Let us spend our energy and our effort to bring more people together to praise the Lord together. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, you have redeemed so many of us in this room. And Lord, we want to praise you for that. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. For those of us who know you, you are the greatest treasure of our longing soul. There is no one like you, God. True delight, lasting delight, eternal delight is only found in you. And Lord, we need to be reminded of that this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that you would meet us here and remind us of these things this morning. Lord, we want to praise you. 
It's, it's us. It's our insecurities. It's our uh, insecurities. Sometimes it's our pride that gets in the way of us genuinely praising you. So, Lord, we want to praise you. We need your help. Lord, we also want to see countless people from every tribe and tongue and nation praise you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.